If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. My question for us today is this. Where is the cross in your life? Where is the cross in our lives? Mark Twain once remarked that his problem with the Bible wasn't so much the parts that he didn't understand. No, it was the parts that he did understand that bothered him. Today's gospel lesson is probably one of those parts for many of us, just as it seems to have been for Peter and the disciples. The story begins this way. Jesus began to teach his disciples, we read, But the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Notice what Mark tells us right after this. Mark says, Jesus said all of this quite openly. Quite openly. There are lots of places in the Gospels where the disciples just don't understand what Jesus is talking about. Because he's not talking openly. He does something like cursing the fig tree. And they scratch their heads. Why did Jesus have to go and curse that nice little fig tree? Well, it's hard to say. Where Jesus tells a parable about the seven wise virgins and seven foolish virgins. Or about people who get thrown out of a wedding feast for not being dressed appropriately. And the disciples don't get it. I dare say that we don't always get it either. I think that's because Jesus tells us parables to open us up to the reality of the upside-down kingdom of God, which is a place so different from the ordinary kingdoms of this world that we can have a hard time imagining it. This time, though, Jesus isn't speaking in parables. He's not using figures. It's different. Jesus, for once, is speaking openly, not in parables or prophetic signs. He's telling his disciples what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer terribly. I'm going to be rejected by the entire establishment of Jewish culture. And then they're going to kill me. A few chapters later, all of this happens pretty much exactly as he said. It wasn't a metaphor. It was just what happened. And this time, Peter doesn't respond to Jesus. Peter doesn't speak for the group in some almost laughable misunderstanding of what Jesus is trying to say, as he often does. No. Instead, I think Peter this time understands Jesus just fine. I don't think he's misunderstanding Jesus so much as he's rejecting what Jesus says. We read that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, to rebuke Jesus, that is. The Greek word that we translate here as rebuke means more than just polite disagreement. Now, Peter didn't just say, no, Jesus, I don't think that can be right. 
Instead, if you want to get what the word is trying to say, you could imagine that Peter, let's say, raised his voice and added some colorful language in order to make real clear just what he was trying to say. We don't have to wonder either, I think, the kind of thing that Peter was saying. In so many words, it was, No, Lord, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to be rejected. You don't have to die. You should go on like you are. The crowds, look at it. They love you. You've really started a movement here, Jesus. Who knows how much good you could do if you just kept at it? This nonsense you're saying about suffering and being rejected and killed, you should just go on and put that out of your head right now. You have work to do, Jesus. Don't throw it away. What good can getting yourself killed possibly do? Well, that at least is the kind of thing that I imagine Peter either said out loud or would have said if Jesus hadn't cut him short. In his heart, though, in his heart, I wonder if there was something else going on. Remember that what it meant to be a disciple is that the disciples were committed to following Jesus everywhere. They hung on his every word. They were patterning their whole lives around everything that their master said and did. That's what it meant to be a disciple. So, if this is what their teacher was about to do, what was that going to mean for them? Would it mean going where he went all the way? Would it mean that a cross was in store for them too? I think that Peter and the disciples had this, this on their hearts because of how Jesus responded. Notice what he does. Peter takes Jesus aside and begins rebuking him. And while he's still at it, Jesus turns around and he looks at all the other disciples. So Mark says he does. I imagine Jesus here giving the disciples a kind of long, slow, meaningful look, you know, waiting like a good teacher until everybody is paying attention. And then he really lets Peter have it, telling the whole group so they can all hear that Peter's rejection was literally from the devil. Strong words. Not polite disagreement. Why? Well, in their hearts, I imagine that it was because the disciples knew what he meant, and they wanted to avoid following their master in the way of the cross. That's why Jesus says what he says next. This time, not just to the twelve disciples, but to the whole crowd that was following around. So this time, absolutely everyone could hear. If any want to become my followers, he says in a loud voice so that the whole crowd can hear, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. You see, the disciples were committed, weren't they? Or at least they thought they were committed to following Jesus everywhere. 
doing what he did, going where he went, living their lives like the master as much as they possibly could. And now Jesus is telling in no uncertain terms that where I'm going is toward suffering, rejection, shame, and death. And yes, what you're worrying about in your heart is true. If you're going to meet my disciples, you too are going to have to take up your own crosses and follow me in the way of the cross that I've taken. I think that it's at this point in the story where we might start to feel some sympathy with Peter and the disciples. Because it doesn't take much reflection, much biblical exposition, to see that we're in the same shoes as they are. If we're going to be Jesus' disciples today, then we're going to have to walk the way that Jesus did too, which is the way of the cross. On that way lies suffering, maybe rejection, maybe shame, maybe even death. It's not hard to understand that this is what Jesus is telling us. So then, like Peter, will we accept this and follow Jesus where he goes? Or will we rebuke Jesus and reject him? say again with Mark Twain it's not so much the parts of the Bible that we don't understand that are the problem it's often the parts like this that we do understand those are the hard parts and I ask again where is the cross in your life where is the cross in our life In the season of Lent, we're each called to examine our lives, aren't we? For the things that keep us from living as authentic disciples of Jesus. The traditional Lenten dis discipline of giving things up is so that we can set aside those things that have gained too much power over our hearts. Things that get in the way of Jesus in our lives. It's funny how we may not even know how much power something has over us until we try to give it up. I wonder if you've found this to be true as well. We thought we were in control of something, let's say our drinking or our internet use, until we gave it up, even for just part of the day or part of the week, and we found out how strong that impulse is. <clears throat> we thought we were in a good place in our relationships until we resolved to stop our habit of criticizing or withdrawing and then realize how deep those patterns of relating have become, how hard they are to stop. We thought we were just good, politically engaged citizens until we tried to give up partisan shows or websites, just for Lent, for a few weeks. And we discovered that the itch to point fingers and the ease of never having to admit that the other side might have a point goes deeper into our souls than we knew. Or we thought we were generous with our money. But the extra gifts that we resolved to make to charity or to church, well, they just haven't happened yet. 
all in all, we thought we were followers of Jesus. We were doing pretty good. Until we tried to follow him just a little more closely. And we found out how hard it can be. Our lives are all too often something like an old wagon. Driving down the same old ruts in a dirt road. We think we can turn aside off the ruts and take a new path. But pretty soon those wheels, well, they want to go right back to the ruts they've always gone in. It's hard to change. It's hard to give up whatever it is that keeps us from Jesus. This is just another way of saying that if we keep on the new path of discipleship, it's going to involve some suffering. So many times, I do this too, we avoid acknowledging that we have some kind of problem that's in our lives. We avoid our problems sometimes because by now, whatever the problem is, may be so big that we're afraid of what would happen if we tried to fix it now. How would we get the strength? Where would we start? What else do we know? If we poke that sleeping dragon and wake him up, what's going to happen? Will he destroy us? Well, Jesus has no words of easy comfort for us here. Comfort, but not easy comfort. He says, in effect, you're right. You may not have the strength on your own. You will probably suffer. It'll be hard. You may very well be rejected. You may even experience the death of much or all of what you have come to rely on But whatever sin it is, is already taking you on the road to death anyway. Taking the easy path to nowhere isn't really living. It's avoiding. That's why Jesus says, those who want to save their life will lose it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his life? But here's the good news. Because Jesus also says, those who lose their life for my sake will find it. If giving up your favorite sin is harder than you can handle, even if the suffering and the rejection that result are more than you know how to take, God's grace will reach down into your life. And it will be sufficient for you. Even if killing the dragon of sin in your life kills you along with it, Jesus promises you won't be destroyed. No, the God who raised up Jesus from the dead will raise you up too. On this side of the grave or the other, real and inexhaustible life, good and right and true, is what God has in store for all of us. I ask one more time. Where is the cross in your life? Where's the cross in our lives? 
If there is no cross in your checkbook, no cross in your relationships, no cross in your free time or your career or your prayer and worship life, whatever it is, that's a sure sign that that's an area of your life where you're not following Jesus. Holding on to something. You're saying, okay, Jesus, you can have this part of my life, but not this part. This part I'm keeping. I don't want to cross there. But whatever it may be for you this Lent, I urge you to give it to Jesus. You may be afraid to give it up for precisely the same reason as Peter. It's going to mean the cross. Well, it will mean the cross. There's no avoiding the cross if we're going to be disciples of Jesus. But this, too, is good news. It's good news because the only things that will actually die on the cross are the things in your life that are already leading you to death as it is. They're the things that need to die. But everything good and righteous and lovely and lasting and true will be raised up with the Lord, alive forever with Him. Give your whole life then to Jesus this day. And He will give it back to you again made clean and new forever.